0: In all of the Gospels, Jesus comes and it says that uh, when he started his ministry, you know, the very first thing that he said was, "The kingdom of God is at hand. Repent." Uh, you can find this replete throughout the Gospels. Uh, Matthew, the third chapter, for example, and it's always fascinated me because it was very obviously the central message of Christ throughout the Gospels and the Book of Acts: the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of God, and yet. Outside of maybe a handful of churches around this country, you hear very little about something that was obviously so critical and so much a central part of the message of Christ. In fact, it was as if he said, here's the kingdom of God, this is the motivation for repentance. He would say, here's the vision, here's the government of God, this is what God's doing in the earth, this is what God can do in your life, but you know, to get here, you're going to need to repent. Whereas the message of the church seems to be, at least the conservative branches of the church, seems to be, okay, repent! Oh yeah, by the way, there's a kingdom over here, but maybe it's here, maybe it's not. We don't know all that much. But repent! Look at your sin. Whereas Jesus showed them the vision of what can be and what should be and what will be, and then said, repent, we do just the opposite. Which I think uh, might go a long way toward uh, explaining some of our meager results in evangelism. I was thinking this morning about Okay, I want to talk constantly about the kingdom of God, but I, I don't think humans have the ability to describe uh, the magnificence, the power, the glory, the significance, the, the awesome nature of God's kingdom. It's like, I, I have five children, uh, one grandchild. My oldest uh, now are uh, in their late 20s. And, uh, but when they were little, the two oldest girls are only 13, 14 months apart, uh, we took them to uh, Disney for the very first time down in Orlando, and so all the way down from uh, 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 over, we were living in, in Tampa at the time. We were driving over to Orlando, and we we're telling them all about, you know, what it's going to be like, and just how fun it is, and you know, all of the magnificent buildings and the art, and here's Mickey Mouse walking around, and Cinderella, and it's just this incredible experience, and you're going to have such fun, you know. And we get there, and I'm not thinking anything of it. We walk through the gates, and uh, this is, you know, uh, back in the uh, late 70s, -70s, mid-70s, when you still uh, bought e-tickets were your biggest tickets so you could get the great ride. So I bought all these expensive tickets, and we're going to have a ball, and we're walking through the gates. And as typical father, I'm 50 yards ahead of the family. And uh, I turn around, and I look, and there are my two girls looking at Disney. And it was like, hey, we're not prepared for this. They were on absolute sensory overload. This is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my three-year life. I mean, they walked around in absolute stunned silence. And of course, screaming bloody murder when we left 18 hours later. That's how I feel about the kingdom of God. No matter what you say, no matter what you say about Christ and His kingdom, no matter how you describe it, when you finally begin to see it, it's not like anything anybody ever said. It is that magnificent, and obviously to Christ, it is that, that so powerful that people, of course, will want to repent once they see it. And He says to us in the Lord's Prayer, of course, you need to pray this, Our Father who art in heaven, thy will be done, thy kingdom come. Central part of our prayer life, God's will be done on earth, God's kingdom come to this world. If has to be a central part of our prayer, it's obviously supposed to be a central part of our life. Not just the churches, not just the, 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 the evangelist or the missionary or the pastor, but every Christian within God's government, that's supposed to be what makes them tick, what makes their blood go, what makes their mind focused, is this prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Thy kingdom come. Jesus said in the Lord, uh, his Sermon on the Mount, first thing you're supposed to do is what? Seek first the Kingdom of God. Not all the stuff, not all the blessings, not all of whatever that comes with being in the Kingdom, but seek first the Kingdom Itself. Seek first the King and His... This is, this is our... Uh, yesterday I was talking about all of us have specific missions, but all of us also have universal, global, biblical missions that apply to all Christians. All Christians are to cultivate the earth for God's glory. All Christians are to make disciples. All Christians are here, according to Jesus in Matthew 6.33, is to seek first the kingdom of God, to seek first the active reign of Christ in my life. On my way over here, I drove over from uh, Cleveland. I was visiting my uh, uh, daughter and her husband and our first grandchild. And uh, I, I get bored in a car and used to in the old days, the way I dealt with that was I really loved speed. Uh, But my insurance company and the police of the United States got a little tired of that and I had to change my ways. And so now to keep from being bored, I do the speed limit, but I listen a lot to tapes and CDs. and I love listening to books. And on the way over here, I was re-listening to uh, Mallory's uh, uh, tales of King Arthur. And one of the stories, probably one of the very first stories I heard when I was a child about King Arthur was. And it was a time where the wars are over and Arthur had taken over Great Britain in his nights. There, there were no more wars, no more outside invading forces. And he'd already started the games there at Camelot and got the round table going to kind of keep them honed and ready for their mission. But he was worried. There was something missing in their life and they were getting soft. And so one night, they're sitting around, the, according to this legend, they're sitting around the table and they're about to take their evening meal. And Arthur said, no, hold the meal, we're not going to eat until something miraculous takes place. We're not going to eat until something magical takes place. course you can imagine how grown men who've been, you know, working all day felt about that. They got real serious about their prayer life, I'm sure. God, do something fast so we can eat. But anyway, they sat there for hours, and all of a sudden, it happened. The Holy Grail appears. And this is the chalice of Christ. And it hovers in midair, and it goes around before all the men, and then it disappears. And Arthur says, that's it. We're going to go on a quest. We're all going to go and find that holy grail. Well, one of the knights, I don't remember which one, but one of the knights said, well, wait a minute. Yes, we should all do it, but we cannot do it together. That would lack nobility. That would, would lack honor. We have to do it as individual men. And so as the myth goes, uh, it said that each man went to the deepest, darkest part of the edge of the forest where there were no paths, and there they entered. And I remember as a child reading that story thinking, yes, that is what our life is supposed to be like. We're not supposed to go out there and be like anybody else. We're not supposed to go out there and just follow somebody else's path. We're not supposed to go out there and adopt somebody else's quest. We're supposed to go out and in our own life, we are to find our own way and what it means in my life for Christ to reign. Not what it means in your life. Again, yes, there are global things that, will, uh, that apply to all of us that we'll look at at lunchtime today. But I'm talking about your individual quest. That is your life, just to step out and find your way. Who am I supposed to be? What is this human that God has created me to be? There's a a, a promise in in Revelation 2.17, I believe. I know it's in Revelation 2. I think it's verse 17. And it says, okay, those who overcome, when they get to heaven, they're going to be given a name. And this name is going to be written on a white stone. And on it is a name that nobody knows but God. God. But this name is going to describe you in a way that's so comprehensive, so total, so utterly accurate that you're just, that's who I am. Now when I read that, I think, well then that's what life is about. That's what my life is about. It's about becoming whoever that name is that he's going to give me. That is my journey is becoming that name. Who, When God said, let there be Monty, all right, let there be this guy down there in Miami, Florida in right, 1952, there was a destiny, there was a name in his mind, there is a person in his mind, and my quest is to become who that man is supposed to become. Not somebody else, but who that man is called to be under Jesus Christ. That's my quest. That's my destiny. Think of it this way. Paul said, 2 Corinthians 3, that you are an epistle, you're a letter, you're a book, you're a biography, you're the hero in the story. The story starts out with the rub, the problem. You've got amnesia, you don't know who you are. And you stumble around trying to discover who you are. And one day you walk into this village and there is this holy man who says to you, I don't know who you are, but I know who does know who you are. You see that mountain off in the distance. At the top of that mountain, there's this king. Right? And this king, he is really something. He knows everything. He knows everybody as if he's already met them, And he knows everything about him. And so if you'll just go over to that mountain, climb that mountain, I mean, I know it really is big, but if you want to find out who you are, you've got to climb that mountain and meet that king, and you'll discover who you are. You think, great, okay, so you're going to take off, but he stops you. And he said, now, now, there is a problem. The problem is at the bottom of that mountain, there is a fire. And most people get to that fire, and they just turn around and walk off because it is so painful. But if you can get through that fire... Something takes place that is almost miraculous. The fire goes from without to within. So that the excruciatingly painful fire at some point in your journey becomes a fire of power, an empowering fire that gives you everything you need to make the journey. But first, all that's in the way of the journey gets burned away it's an incredible journey incredible story treasures found treasures lost dragons betrayals honor glory confusion it's the story of life but at the very end of the story every story ends the same way you get to the end you get to the top of the mountain you meet the king and you discover the king is not only your creator not only does he know your name and everything about you but he's your elder brother. And you live happily ever after. Now that's all of our stories. That is what our journey is about. That is when Jesus said the Kingdom of God is come, as it applies to you as an individual, what that means is that if you will submit to the reign of Christ in your life, you will become that name. You will go on that quest. Now many Christians remain confused walking around the mountain, studying the mountain, making detailed charts about the mountain, uh, getting all kinds of theology about what the pathways must be like, and what, you know, whose path should be where, and they have all kinds of ideas of how the mountain should be managed, and yet they never start the journey up the mountain. You can have all the charts, all the books you want, but the quest involves what those knights did, stepping into the forest, starting up the pathway. The whole journey, in Paul's words, is all about faith. It's all about hope. It's all about love. It's all about being restored and reconciled. We all have the same compass. We're all in the same forest. but We're all on separate pathways. Now, I want to be careful here. I, I don't want to mistakenly project an individualism that I don't think is biblical. You will find people, you need to find people off and on throughout your journey that can help you. In the fantasies and myths and legends, these people show up as, as a Gandalf, or they show up as a Merlin, or they show up as a Frodo, or they show up as whatever, but there are people who can help you and in turn, people you can help along the way with your gifts, with your strengths, with your talents, but not having all the gifts there are, and not having all the wisdom of the body of Christ, and not having the entire mind of Christ, and not having the entire kingdom alone on your shoulders, you will discover that you need other people, and that other people need you. Now, this doesn't mean you leave your pathway, and it doesn't mean they leave their leave their path to become who you are, or they lead to become who you are, or you leave to become who they are, or whatever. But it does mean that we serve one another. It does mean that we, in Paul's words, learn how to provoke one another, or the writer of Hebrews, uh, provoke one another to love and to good deeds. It's important here we are in a a workshop and a seminar about harmony of interest and we're talking about different careers and different skills and different venues and different uh, jobs and careers and spheres of endeavor and especially in a free market or a capitalistic society and it's one of its strengths is the need to specialize. But in that need to specialize, there comes problems. Remembering this story is not just a fairy tale, but a real life story uh, that includes sin and tragedy and the consequences of sin. One of the consequences of sin is isolation. Isolation to the point that we get, become dehumanized. One of the weaknesses and problems that we constantly have to face with specialization within an economy is that in our desire and even need at times to specialize in a particular field, we can become narrow as human beings. You see what I'm saying? It's like we quit growing. In the old days, for the first 150 or so years of this nation, uh, the vast majority of people who went to college, their undergraduate degree was in liberal arts. They did not specialize until they went into their uh, graduate work in masters and PhD. Because it was thought that it was more important first of all that these people become whole people, that they understand all that went into becoming a whole person, that what became uh, what it meant to be a citizen, that what it meant to be a citizen of the United States, of what it meant to be a human, of, of all that went behind Western civilization and the world history to bring us to this point, and they were taught philosophy and music and different forms of art and literature uh, and history. Uh, with very few, uh, you know, uh, courses in basket weaving or um, studies of bears in Canada. Um, uh, That was left for your graduate degree. Now, I say all this to say that it's very easy for us in in our culture, in our economy, to become our role. I am a doctor. I am uh, a lawyer. Uh, I am a director of a charity. No, you're not. You only play one on television. Alright? That's just a role. You're a father, you're a mother, you're a sister, you're a brother, you're a church member, you're a friend, you're a neighbor, you're all these things, but again, those are roles. It's not who you are. Now, obviously those roles should express something of who you are. Obviously they'll influence who you are as a person, but they are not who you are. And when we make that distinction, something happens that we're able then to start focusing on, okay, who am I as a person? This is what I do and this is important and this is probably part of my mission or calling or gifting or whatever, but it's not necessarily who I am. That's why it can be so devastating if for some reason market downsizes your skill or, or something happens and you, something critical happens and you have to leave the job or you lose your job. Why so many people go into, you know, have to go see a doctor and start taking Xanax or something because now they don't know, well, who am I? Well, you never were that job. That's just something that you did, that God gifted and gave you, and now it's something else. You're still the same person. It's important, especially as Christians, I believe, for us to remember that. You remember the story of Mary and Martha. Mary's just sitting there at the feet of Jesus, enjoying His presence and fellowship and friendship, and Martha's running around taking care of everything, being the good little deaconess that she was. And instead of being commended, Uh, She was somewhat chided by Jesus saying, you know, you're really busy about a lot of things and you forgot the one thing necessary. A lot of those things are good, a lot of those things are wonderful, but if they take over the one thing necessary, they become impediments, and God doesn't look kindly upon impediments. He can make them disappear very quickly. Because the one thing necessary is our relationship with God through Christ. The one thing necessary is becoming the person that God has called us to become. The quest for those who accept the challenge is right here. The quest, when we say seek first the kingdom of God, when Jesus says seek first the kingdom of God, it's about seeking his righteousness. It's about seeking his peace in our life, it's about seeking his joy in the Holy Spirit. It's about becoming more the, the human that God created us to be. And of course, the more individuals do that, there is a if you will, a corporate or a cultural influence that is going to take place. You can't have uh, hundreds or thousands or tens of thousands of Christians going on this quest to become the person they were called to be without there being massive changes within a society, within a nation, within a people, within a culture. But it starts with these individuals beginning this quest. I was giving a, a workshop in uh, Las Vegas uh, a while back uh, for businessmen and, and, and women. And um, uh, I was coming around a corner with a, a guy that I was doing the workshop with and uh, in the MGM there uh, there's this whole bank, you know, of, of elevators and you walk up to the elevators and you, we were walking to this particular elevator that went to the, the top floor and uh, we could see we weren't going to get there in time because the doors were closing, but right before they closed you could see these five people, three men and and two women, that were standing right there in the elevator. They were standing there, door closed. I I didn't think anything of it. And we stood there kind of just talking a minute, and uh, the door opened, and those five people were still standing there. I started to say something, and my friend stopped me and said, let's watch. So the door closes, and we wait a minute. The door opens. They're still there. And they're just standing there, door closes. door opens again. This time, I couldn't. I just put my foot when it started to close. I said, have you noticed you're not going anywhere? And they kind of looked around and they said, and did you notice that you're on an elevator that takes a special key and you don't have the key, obviously. Of course, they got all embarrassed and walked off, you know, and kind of went over to the other elevator. But on the way up the elevator, I'm thinking, isn't that a metaphor for so many people's lives? They're in the middle of all this action, all this noise, all this entertainment, all this music, all this grand and glorious activity, right? Or, in, 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 to apply it to what we're talking about here, we're in the middle of all this miraculous creation, all this incredible opportunity, uh, all this... In, just. Awesome abilities that God's given us to serve others, to love others, to serve Him, to glorify Him. And there we stand, not seeing it, not even knowing we're not going anywhere, not even realizing we don't even have the right key in our hand. If I have a mission, and I have a a number of them, that's one of them. I want to wake people up. Now I understand in the end it's the Holy Spirit that wakes people up, not Monty Wilson. But I want to do my best in His hands to say, "Hey, are there areas of your life where the elevator is not moving? Are there areas of your life where the King is not anywhere to be found?" It's so simple and easy, given the nature of our humanity and the nature of our culture and the effects of sin and uh, like kind of a carbon monoxide, without us realizing it, it seeps in and we get drowsy in various areas of our life and, and we wake up and we realize, where's Christ in my business? Where's Christ in my relationships? Where's Christ in my intellectual uh, pursuits? Where is Christ in, in my... Where, where is He in all of this? Is He anywhere to be found? Have I even asked those questions? Am I even aware? I mean, so many people, to give another metaphor, it's like they're this cork not tied any longer to the fishing line but just kind of floating down the river. You know, just, well, whatever the tides take me. There's no sense of purpose, no self-awareness, no sense of direction, no sense of who am I in Christ and what am I supposed to do and where am I supposed to go. Just, well, whatever happens and all roads leave to Niagara. Well, no, they don't. They don't. The kingdom of God is found through only one key, and that's Jesus Christ, period. Period. Some of the, I, I told you yesterday that one of my uh, jobs is as a, a life coach. And most, well, right now, all of the men that I coach are unbelievers. And one of the things I tell them very gently but forthrightly in the beginning, because part of a life coach is most of these, well, all of these men are looking for some kind of spiritual connection. And I tell them, I'm not an equal opportunity evangelist. You're not going, I'll talk to you about the world religions, I have degrees, I can tell you anything you want to know, but in the, or a lot of what you want to know, but in the end, I'm going to tell you this, the kingdom of God, the way into that forest, there's only one key to that elevator, there's only one key that opens up that enchanted forest, there's only one Lord that opens the eyes, and that's Jesus Christ, it's exclusive, that's it, I can't apologize for it, he said it, if you don't like it, take it up with him, but there's no such thing as becoming more fully human without the key to the kingdom which is confession of Jesus Christ. There's no such thing as walking in the fullness of God's kingdom without first submitting to the king. There's no such thing as discovering who you're to be or becoming that name that John uh, heard on uh, the Isle of Patmos in Revelation 2. There's no such thing as becoming that name through walking up any other mountain. There's only one mountain to walk up and there's only one king that we're pursuing and that's Jesus and the mountain is his kingdom. That's the way it is. That's who He is. Going back and looking over our life, and I'm not suggesting you do this every day. I think navel-gazing is very dangerous. You know, always introspective, always reflecting. It can be paralyzing. But I do think there should be seasons throughout the year where you step away for a few hours or a day or even a few days, and you look at your life, the big chunks. Family, job, private thoughts, hobbies, travel, toys, whatever it is. All these chunks of our life. Okay, how does this line up with my pursuit? Is this serving who I want to be? Many times there's nothing wrong with a particular thing that you're doing, but somehow it's not serving your quest. And it needs to be readjusted or jettisoned. Everything we do should serve us in our quest to experience life as God wants us to experience it and to reflect Him as God wants us to reflect Him. Does every area of my life, not perfectly, not the way it does someone who's been walking with God for 80 years, but as much as possible, as long as I've been on my journey, does it reflect the goodness, the love, the grace, the truth, the beauty of God? Does it say, does it declare, yeah, I know who the King is, I don't know who I am yet, or who I'm ultimately going to be, but I know who He is. I know where I'm headed. At least in a big chunk, I'm headed to the top of that mountain to find out who who I really am. Does my life say that? And am I willing to share that with others whose paths cross my way? Because if I'm not, if I'm not willing to share, there's still, again, right there, there's an area that's not submitted to Christ. Because as Christians, it's not just all about me. It's also about me helping other people. It's also about me serving others in their quest. Not to become like me. I'm no guru. I'm I'm not somebody to imitate or emulate in that sense of the word. I'm here to help you discover who you are to be and get on your way. And that's what you're to do for others. This is the kingdom of God. This is why we're here in small uh, for the seminar. But in large, that's what our life is about. Or at least that's what our life is supposed to be about. Thank you.